Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. I always struggle with whether to address large subjects that are national and international import or to address you as personally as I can because I think about, you know, sometimes when I'm riding down the road and I put, down, uh, put in a message from someone whose ministry I trust, I feel a little disappointed if that message doesn't seem to have anything to say to me personally about where I am. Uh, that's just human nature. We need comfort. We need encouragement. We need to feel like we have a, a, an arm around us sometimes and that there's a, a empathetic, supportive word coming to us that will help us have enough light for the step we're standing on. And night light is supposed to be that. It's to be a, a light that shines in a dark place. Uh, it, the light that shines in a dark place separates the light from the dark, exposes the dark, rebukes the dark, uh, gives comfort in the dark. Th those are all the concepts that we had when we first named it night light. And yet we also had the concept equally equally, of standing against larger international issues, national issues, things that affect not just us personally, but affect the world we live in. I mean, after all, how can you be comforted privately if your world publicly is in a shambles? Uh, Everything we talk about on the international and national scale is eventually going to affect you in your personal private world. And so it's always hard to find the balance between those two. Now, only the Holy Spirit can give it, and I pray that what I want to share with you today will be both strengthening and encouraging to you personally, but also uh, enlightening and awakening to you on a larger national and international scale. Because as I've said several times previously in the last few months, I believe more and more that the Nightlight audience is a body of people who have a particular anointing for intercessory prayer. I'm not trying to put that on anybody. Maybe you don't sense that for you personally. But I think as a general rule, most of uh, the Nightlight audience are people of real prayer. And I mean people who pray for the country, for the world, for the concerns of the body of Christ internationally as well as nationally, as well as locally, as well as privately. And so as we enter into this time period that we're in now, uh, post-election, post-presidential election, I, I, I speak with many people who say to me rightly, I'm glad they're saying it, this is no time to stop praying. This is no time to back away from the call of standing in the gap so that the Lord can save the land. This is, the, this is true for Europe. It's true for America. It's true for the whole world. But especially uh, those of us who have been given the torch of the gospel to reach the world. So um, standing in the gap, praying for the nation, I pray that nobody who hears this message month by month makes the mistake of thinking that because the left has been ousted, 
that they have uh, gone away. They are now more dangerous than ever. Uh, once they lost the platform by which they could control and manipulate and dominate and drive the gospel underground if they couldn't drive it off the planet, uh, don't think they will acquiesce uh, and just say, well, we lost the election, we'll just have to work hard for the next election. No, they're not thinking about working hard for the next election. They're thinking about how they can simply uh, destroy and conquer. Because the nature of evil is to do that. They will stay cloaked as long as they can be cloaked, but when the cloak is removed by circumstances they can't control, they will not just humble themselves and accept defeat. They will go into overdrive and uh, it, that may be violence. Did you know that there's been over 12,000 electronic communications uh, making reference to uh, assassinating Donald Trump? Now, if that had happened eight years ago, uh, it would be a national scandal if such a thing had occurred r regarding uh, Barack Obama. You see, most of the people on the right are not interested in being lawbreakers. They're interested in maintaining a rule of law because that's what a republic is. A republic is not a democracy. We are not a democracy. A republic is a, a government system based on representative government under the rule of law. Well, we're warned in Scripture that at the end of the age, lawlessness will be the, the spirit of the age. Lawlessness. Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness. And uh, we used to think lawlessness would somehow be people who shoot and kill and maim and rob and destroy, and there are those out there, certainly. But they're being led by much more lawless people who wear three-piece suits and carry briefcases and meet together in uh, high, glossy, mahogany-paneled rooms and plan the overthrow of the republic. Uh, for those who may think that that really is not our concern, our concern is the gospel, then please remember that the main focus of those three-piece suit lawless people in the back rooms, in mahogany panel rooms, was to destroy the church, to shut down the gospel, and to propagate paganism and sexual insanity everywhere they can. And so with that in mind, I want to talk to you about something that is on a large scale that affects you and me on our private, personal scale. My hope is that it will enlighten us and strengthen us for the big picture battle while it comforts us and, and strengthens us in our private life, our private walk. I want to read to you... Uh, a writing that comes from Mr. Bueller, who is the representative of the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. This is a long article. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Uh, I will try to let you know when I'm no longer quoting him and I'm making a statement of my own. But I want you to hear what he has to say because he says it, I think, better than I would be able to say it. It's based on the scripture from Isaiah chapter 21 where Isaiah is describing the time of, of history in which he was 
He was watching the, the collapse of Babylon and the rise of the Assyrian army. I guess the closest parallel you might be able to imagine would be if this was the collapse of America and the rise of China. Uh, that's not really a good parallel, but I'm trying to think of something you could relate to in your own daily life. Just imagine if the United States completely collapsed and the Chinese army was approaching your borders and you were about to be completely inundated by Chinese power. Uh, you can use whatever combination of nations you want to, but the point is, in this cataclysm, people are terrified. If you read the whole chapter, you'll get the picture uh, uh, of this this time of intense insecurity. And in the midst of that, Isaiah describes those who cry out to the watchman, 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 what of the night? And the watchman responds with what sounds like a, a, a nonsensical answer. He says, the morning comes and also the night. Sometimes you hear this quoted, the morning comes but also the night. That's not what it says. The morning comes and also the night. It doesn't, it's not seemingly referring to, well, the morning is coming, but then it'll be followed by another night. It seems to imply that morning and night are, are occurring side by side. It brings to my mind the picture of uh, Israel in Goshen under Pharaoh in Egypt. When God cursed Egypt with darkness so thick you, you could not see your hand in front of your face. Darkness that caused them to gnaw their tongues, it says. But in Goshen there was light. The people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. You are the light of the world, said him who is the light of the world to us about ourselves. He said, I'm the light of the world. Then he turned right around in Matthew 5 and said, you are the light of the world. Well, the light of the world shines when the world is dark. Now, Paul makes statements. For instance, he says in one place, the night is far spent. The morning is upon us. Then he turns around in Ephesians 6 and says, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this present darkness. Now, so why the contradiction? Well, there's not a contradiction in realities. It's simply a mixing of metaphors or a Different different uses of, of the metaphor of light and darkness. Darkness in Scripture is the attitude of heart towards God. To be in unforgiveness, John tells us, is to be in darkness. Uh, Jesus says, work for the night is coming when no man will be able to work. Work, he said, we, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The darkness is coming when no man can work. Some people read that and think it means, well, that means there's going to be time to preach the gospel, but then we finally get to the end of the age and there's going to be nothing but darkness. Nothing but darkness at the end of the age. That's not what he said. The darkness he's referring to is the darkness that would come upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he told his disciples in John chapter 12 and again in chapter 14 
This is the power of darkness's time. The power of darkness comes to me but finds no place in me, he says in John 12. Then in John, uh, then finally when they come to take him in, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, this is your hour and the power of darkness. That darkness that came and took him, that's the darkness the Bible's always talking about. It's the spirit of Antichrist. That's darkness. So when Paul says the night is far spent, the darkness is about gone, we're on the verge of the morning, he's talking about the birth of the kingdom of God that was uh, unleashed at the resurrection that has been being progressively unleashed throughout history uh, right down to the present moment. And uh, then uh, on the other hand, he says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers and the rulers of this present darkness. Then he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, you are not of the darkness nor of the night that the day should take you like a thief by surprise, but you are children of the day and children of the light. Proverbs 4 says the path of the just is like a shining light that shines brighter and brighter until it reaches perfect noonday. He who has begun a good work in you will finish it. The light in you is ever increasing, ever increasing in its manifestation of the glory of God through your life. And the light shines brightest in the dark. Daniel tells us in chapter 12, at the close of the age, those that are wise who turn others toward righteousness will shine like the stars in the firmament. Well, the stars shine brightest when it's darkest. So this light and dark picture that is spoken of here by Isaiah in chapter 21 does make perfect sense. Watchmen, what of the night? Tell me what's going to happen in the night. It's understandable. They want to know what's going to come. They, they, they want to read the National Enquirer. They want to buy the latest psychic book. They want to read whatever charismatic prophecy is going on. I'm not saying that to denigrate the true function of prophecy. But we've got to remember prophecy. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't despise prophesying. Why would he say don't despise prophesying? Well, evidently prophecy can become despicable to some people. What could cause prophecy to become despicable? Well, a wrong motive. If, you, if your motive to prophesy is to win your own audience to, and draw people to yourself, that's despicable. If you prophesy things that don't come to pass or things that are a muddy mixture, that can make prophecy despicable. That's why prophecy is to be judged, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 14. Prophecy is to be judged because it, it needs the, the truth needs to be obtained and the, that which is not true needs to be discerned or, or corrected. I don't have time to get into all that here, but the point is there's lots of different voices out there prophesying and some are diametrically opposite to one another. Some can't be reconciled. Others can be reconciled if you understand this principle of light and darkness manifesting at the same time in the same point of history. We are in a place now where light is becoming lighter 
and dark is becoming darker. Jesus said it in Revelation chapter 22, the closing words of the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus said, you who are righteous, be more righteous, or still more righteous. Or the Greek says, be righteous still. You who are unrighteous, be unrighteous still. In other words, if you're going to be righteous, be righteous. And if you're going to be ungodly, be ungodly. Because you don't have long. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. There is a progression of light that ever increases toward the dawn of the end of the age. And there is also a manifestation of darkness that gets darker and darker in the close of the age. You've noticed it yourself. If you sit in a dark, dark room and turn a light on, the light pushes the darkness away, but in the outer darkness of where that light is pushing, it's so black you can't see anything. The light increases the darkness. And the darkness manifests the glow of the light more brightly. This is what we had in mind when we first named this ministry Nightlight. It would be a light shining in a dark place. So my prayer today, as I, as I read this quote from Mr. Bueller from the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, is that you'll capture the times we're living in. We are living in very similar times when the collapse of some things and the rise of other things is capturing people in the crunch of that, capturing the whole world in the crunch of it. How are we to interpret that and how are we to relate to it? So I quote, Watchman, what of the night is the desperate cry for help which was heard in the times of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah had just witnessed the rise of the Assyrian Empire, one of the most ruthless empires in recorded history. Their influence rapidly spread through the entire ancient world and was even at Israel's doorstep. In this time of trouble, when violence and lawlessness increased, the desperate cry to the watchman became, what about this increased darkness in our world? What is happening to us? Watchman, do you have any answers for us? This cry for help and clarity is also being heard today as we enter the year 2016. Of course, I'm reading it a year later as we enter 2017. Dark clouds are everywhere. In the United States, the church finds itself in a battle for the very soul of their nation. Europe has been inundated by an unprecedented flood of more than one million mostly Muslim refugees. At the same time, a new level of terrorism descended on France, while Germany entered into the new year with high-level security threats from Islamic terrorism. The economic success story of the European Union is now endangered not only by the Greek national crisis, but also the combined pressure of escalating terrorism and an influx of refugees. If we look at Africa, we see an increased presence of radical Islamic groups of various kinds, like Boko Haram and others. The Middle East remains in a state of severe instability. Not only are Iraq and Syria falling apart before our eyes, but we also see instability in other countries like Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and I will now add, because it's increased since this writing took place in 2016, the rise of Turkey. I go on quoting, 
The Islamic Republic of Iran is being released by the West from its economic sanctions while continuing to utter threats and incite violence against Israel in the United States. At the same time, the European Union is issuing a labeling law against Israel, the only democracy in the entire region. All Israeli products from so-called occupied territories are expected to be labeled and are thus under the scrutiny of the boycott. While the USA continues to withdraw as an ordering world power, allowing Russia, China, and Turkey to gain quickly, uh, to move quickly into filling the resulting vacuum in the Middle East. In short, our world is undergoing significant changes, which will dramatically alter world history and future events and certainly affect our private lives. The result is insecurity, even within the church. As in the time of Isaiah, watchman, watchman, what of the night, is the desperate question many people have in their hearts today. However, what is far more intriguing is the brief answer offered by Isaiah's watchman. The morning comes, and also the night This surprising response was contrary to natural laws of any human experience. Never did the night and the morning arrive at the same time. The watchman seems confused and not able to make up his mind which is coming, night or day. Regardless of how illogical this answer may sound, it is the answer given by God to the people through history. Oftentimes, as circumstances grew darker and darker, suddenly the morning star announced divine hope and redemption. The pages of the Bible are full of hopeless situations where it appeared darkness was spreading, unchallenged and ever increasing. But it was precisely at that point when the greatest triumphs were then achieved. All seemed hopeless when the Midianites harassed the nation of Israel when the strong men of Goliath and his people, and then Haman threatened the people of Israel, or when the army of Egypt descended upon the Jews without any means of escape at the shore of the Red Sea. It was exactly at these moments, when all hope was gone and night came like a flood, that godly men cried out, The morning is coming. One of the names referring to Jesus in the Bible is the bright and morning star, Revelation 22, verse 16. This tells us that no matter how dark it is around us, if Jesus lives in our hearts, there's always hope for a breakthrough. And let me add here, this is Clay talking, not Mr. Bueller. Hope in the Bible is never crossing your fingers and saying, I hope we are going to be okay. Hope in the Bible is a guaranteed outcome of good, as sure as the character of God. I go on quoting. The morning star is often seen in a glaring light in the dark sky, announcing the imminent arrival of dawn. There's something unique about the morning star. Since ancient times, the planet Venus, which is the brightest of the night luminaries, was referred to as the morning star. But surprisingly enough, Venus is not only considered to be the morning star, but at certain times of the year, it's also the evening star, announcing the approaching night. Isn't it amazing 
that the very same sign in the sky that can be both the herald of the approaching night is also the harbinger of the coming morning. In my experience, there are two types of Christians who, although they both read the very same Bible, have very different perspectives. Many Christians, often Western, usually Western, read the prophecies of the Bible about the future as uh, being one of devastating darkness, gloom, and decay awaiting the church and the world. However, if you visit some home churches of China, you will hear a completely different message. One brother from China recently said to me, in China we are so excited because the prophetic word promises that the whole earth will be covered by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. He clearly is expecting global revival. Not long ago, we visited a large church movement in Nigeria. I'm still quoting Mr. Bueller here. Which is actively training young Christians in prayer and academics in order for them to become the future leaders of their country. They're thinking ahead and thinking with vision. In some Latin American countries like Guatemala, more than 50% of the population has become born-again believers. These are churches filled with hope for what God is doing. In other words, some believers are evening star Christians, some are morning star Christians. Reading the same Bible, some see mainly darkness approaching, while others are full of hope. The truth is that the watchman saw both. He was enough of a realist to see the night coming, but the first response that passed his lips was to announce the coming of the morning dawn. We need to remember that one of the three main trademarks of the church is to bring hope, faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Hope does not disappoint, Romans 5, 5, and provides an anchor for our souls, Hebrews 6, 19. God is called the God of hope, Romans 15, 13, which means he identifies his own character with hope. Therefore, we should never give up our confession of hope, Hebrews 10, 23. No matter what the newspapers or the politicians or even the end-time experts might be telling you, never give up your hope. The answer that the watchman gave some 2,700 years ago in the time of Isaiah is still valid today. The morning comes and also the night. Yes, darkness is spreading across the world in many places. The world is shaking and increasingly is increasingly, uh, increasingly shaking in every level. But there remains one rock that cannot be shaken, Hebrews 12 tells us, and that is the kingdom of God which cannot be shaken. I was greatly encouraged by the extraordinary story of Reese Howells in the book The Intercessor. In the midst of Europe's darkest hour, when Hitler's armies were advancing on every level, a group of 100 intercessors gathered together at a Bible college in Wales. They prayed strategically, not only for the downfall of Hitler, but also declared victory over Nazi Germany when it appeared that they were inevitably invincible and unstoppable. The two main inspirations which motivated this level of prayer 
was Howell's understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be preached to every creature in all the world for a witness to all nations before the end could come, and also that the, the Jews would return to their homeland at the end of the age. Therefore, he concluded it was impossible for Hitler to succeed in his operation. In one of the darkest chapters of European history, Howells could see the morning star, even though his hope was deferred for several years. As the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Assyrians pressed their threat against the kingdom of Israel, the prophet Isaiah brought a message of incredible hope. In a time when huge international players threatened the sovereignty of his homeland with moral decay spreading throughout Israel, Isaiah found hope in the promise of the Messiah's government that upon that government, upon his shoulders, uh, the government would, would rest. And in Messiah's name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, uh, that of the increase of his kingdom and government and peace, there will be no end, Isaiah says. Supreme authority in heaven and on earth is in Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul understood that when he said, Every throne, dominion, principality, and authority is under his sovereignty and will obey his purposes, Colossians 1. But Isaiah saw something that excites me even more, Mr. Bueller says. He not only revealed these powerful attributes of our Savior, but also stated that his kingdom is an endless kingdom that is constantly in the mode of expanding, of the increase of his kingdom and government, Isaiah says, there shall be no end. Therefore, it did not surprise me to hear from a friend in Lebanon that in the midst of ISIS, the churches there are full of men with long beards and women in head coverings who are seeking the Lord Jesus. They also report that a wonderful move of God is taking place among all Muslim refugees. Let me interject here. Several years ago, I received a phone call from a former associate of mine who was on his way home from Egypt. He is himself an Egyptian. And he stopped and called me on his way back to his American home, and he said, I wanted to tell you what happened when I was in Cairo. And he said, I got off the plane. I was handed a cell phone. And I was told to just say my name on the cell phone. When I did, the voice on the other end of the cell phone said, I am Sheikh, and then he named himself. I am, I am the head of uh, uh, a thousand other Sheikhs who represent hundreds and thousands of uh, Egyptian people. We are seeking Jesus, and we were told to contact you, and he's been in ministry, in contact with them in ministry for years. That was years ago. So the reports that we're getting now are more and more and more. Listen, uh, don't dare be like Elijah when he thought Jezebel was going to take over the world. Uh, nobody's left but me. Nobody cares but me. I understand that. Boy, have I fallen into that trap. Nobody loves Jesus but me. Nobody tells the truth but me, and I'm tired of doing it. I want to curl up under this tree and die. Well... This is not a time for curling up and dying, for heaven's sakes. For earth's sakes, I should say. 
Let me go on quoting Mr. Bueller here. From another mission leader, we heard of an underground church growth uh, taking place in Saudi Arabia and in Iran, where a historic revival is now taking place. My son attended a Bible school in Germany, reported a few weeks ago that in one evening service at the camp, nine Syrian refugees gave their lives to Jesus. A pastor from Berlin shared with us also that several churches in his city are packed with refugees coming to Christ. I wonder how long it's going to be before the refugees coming to America are packing into our churches because they want to hear the gospel. Or better yet, when is the church going to go outside of its four walls and begin to penetrate the refugees with the gospel? Mr. Bueller again. It's true that at times God will shake a nation and he will even shake our personal lives in order to accomplish his purposes. The prophet Haggai foresaw a great and final shaking which will come once more over the entire world and even the heavenlies. But the ultimate outcome will be that in the midst of these troublesome times, God will build his temple. For thus says the Lord, I will shake all nations and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former, says the Lord of hosts. Haggai chapter 2. The apostle Paul also saw the church as a triumphant Bride greeting her bridegroom, beautiful and spotless. True, some may be seduced by the world and give in to pressure and fall. The prophet Daniel, by the way, prophesies that many will fall in order that they might be white and purged in the time of falling. So even our falls are turned for our good. But it is the grace of God which will carry us through to be overcomers. No darkness can stop the kingdom of God. On the contrary, often it is the darkness that he uses as his, as his vehicle to come to our rescue, Psalm 18 says. The prophet Daniel saw that even in the time of unprecedented trouble and darkness comes such as never was since there was a nation. Daniel says, there will be those who are wise who will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Therefore, as times grow more difficult, this is not a time of despair, but to strengthen our foundations on what cannot be shaken. The only unshakable entity is and will be the kingdom of God. So it needs to be our top priority. Let us surrender completely to our King. Set our priorities right where they need to be. His kingdom and his righteousness need to be our highest aspiration. Its expansion can be expected no matter what times we're in. There's hope for the church in every nation. Since the morning comes to break every darkness, make a resolution today to be a morning star Christian. That's the end of Mr. Bueller's wonderful and excellent exhortation to answer the question, Watchman, what of the night? Now in the closing time that we've got together, I'm going to share with you some things that the Lord showed me. I am a watchman. My job is to watch and try to speak the truth as clearly as I can. Before the election, I went into a time of uh, 
focused and intense fasting and prayer. For the three days or the four days before the actual election, I, I cut myself off from only the most necessary communications and got on my face uh, and stayed before the Lord as much as time would allow. And I, I made sure that time allowed it. You know, when it comes to certain times of focused prayer, you can't look for the opportunity. You have to bulldoze in and make the opportunity. During that prayer time, I had three nights of consecutive, powerful encounter with the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm hesitant to tell these kinds of things because I don't have manifestations of supernatural events very often. I don't feel God very often. And I respect people who talk about manifestations and visions and dreams and feelings. Uh, those things are all biblical, and I certainly appreciate hearing about them. But I don't much have them. And so when I talk about things like this, I try to be conscious of those of you who are listening to me who who say, oh, I've never had a dream like that. I've never had a vision like that. God may give dreams and visions to those of us who are most knuckleheaded, not those of us who are most obedient and and clear in our spirituality. So, you know, uh, it's like Catherine Kuhlman said, uh, she, she believes people who fall over under the power are uh, being dealt with for their rebellion. Uh, if they weren't so stiff-necked, they wouldn't have to be pushed over. So that's a good word to give a church if you have people who like to fall over just for show. But anyway, I digress. On the first night uh, of this time of fasting for the nation, I did not have a dream. I woke up out of a sound sleep with a, a, ter a terrible grief, grieving, almost to the point of tears. I was grieving over Hillary Clinton. Now, if she was not such a high-profile person in the public eye, I would not name her. God forbid that I would be telling uh, about praying for uh, someone by name, uh, crying out for them because they're in terrible danger spiritually. But because she is a high-profile figure and because her crimes against America are so manifestly evident and irrefutable, and because her position against the unborn and against the sanctity of marriage and against the preaching of the gospel, and I could go on and on, because they are so well-known, it's no dishonor or desecration of her as a person for me to tell you that I woke up with a, a terrible grief. And because it's not my natural tendency to be uh, sympathetic toward her as a person, the tears that were coming and the sorrow that I felt was from the heart of the Lord. I was just a, a useful instrument. And of course, by being a useful instrument, I wanted to align myself with the heart of God at the same time. And so I cooperated with the intercession as I cried out for her. And uh, that prayer uh, went on and filled most of the morning. Then the next night, I had a, a very vivid dream in which I was told to drive my car to a white house where I would pick up a man who had no place to go. I drove up to the white house and uh, I want to stress that it, all these dreams, all these visions, was pitch dark. It was black night. The only light was the light of my car. 
I pulled up in front of the White House and Barack Obama stepped into my car and sat in the passenger seat. And then he told me to continue to drive in the direction that he would direct me to drive. Now, here's, here's a, a way you'll know this had to be a dream and had to be supernatural. I simply obeyed what he told me to do in the dream. But as I drove in the direction he uh, pointed, I came upon a gigantic stone wall. So high you couldn't get over it, so deep you couldn't go under it, so wide you couldn't go around it. Uh, and I knew it was the kingdom of God, the, the mountain that the prophet Daniel says filled the whole earth that uh, crushed all other nations under, under its weight. And I said in the dream to the, and you do understand, if you, if you understand some symbolism of dreams, this is not about Clay McLean having a confrontation with Barack Obama. This is about the body of Christ having a confrontation with the, the forces of the wicked who control uh, the government at that time. The only light in this dream was the light coming from my headlights. That that has to do with the, we, we are the light of the world. Uh, and I said to him, sir, we cannot go forward as you have uh, commanded. There's no way forward for you. You must go backwards. We must turn around and go the opposite direction of what you command. At which point he began to have a meltdown. And here again, this is not about Barack Obama. This is about the attitude of the spirit of insanity and rage and lawlessness of the left that you are now seeing manifested in streets uh, across America funded by George Soros and many, many other uh, left-wing, demonic, uh, high-funded uh, organizations which the news media completely acquiesces to and reports as if it's all uh, spontaneous. Now, when I turned the car around to go the opposite direction, uh, Barack Obama uh, screamed and yelled and tried to get me not to turn the car. And I said to him in the dream, uh, you are in the passenger seat now. We are in control of the direction we'll go. Now, again, this is not about Clay McLean. This is about the body of Christ. Psalm 110. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The scepter of righteousness, which is the scepter of the King of Kings, has been given to his people to rule in the midst of their enemies. How do we rule? We rule in prayer. Revelation chapter 1, we are a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests. What do kings do? They rule. What do priests do? They pray. How do we rule? We rule by intercessory prayer. This is, this is absolutely the most important time for you to be praying for the United States, praying for your own country, those of you who live in other countries. This, this battle is not just for the United States, although I will say, if we fall, what happens to the rest of the world? That's just plain common sense. It may insult the uh, nationalistic pride of other nations, but uh, we're not great because we're America. We're great when we obeyed God. That's the only reason. Uh, making America great again, 
according to Donald Trump, is restoring the business prowess and military prowess, other things. But I believe if we pray for Trump, he will learn from the Holy Spirit that the only greatness in America is the greatness of our humility before God. When we lose that, we will lose everything. When when uh, Alexei de Tocqueville came here uh, in the mid-1800s to try to discern, discern why America was so great, he wrote in his journal, I see now from the pulpits of America and the people of America, America is great because America is good. America is good because of what comes from their pulpits and that affects their people. If America ever ceases to be good, it will cease to be great. Now, the next dream was not really what I would call a dream. Now we're to the night, the third night and the night before the election. This would have been uh, the night before election day. In this dream, it was also pitch black nighttime. And I say it was not exactly like a dream because it wasn't like a dream. It was much, much more three-dimensional and visceral. I felt a physicality about it that I know dreams can have, but this was high intensity. And I, I can't say I dreamed about Vice President Mike Pence, but I dreamed I was Vice President Mike Pence. I'm not exactly sure what that means, and I'm not going to try to figure it out, except that he is a committed follower of the Lord Jesus, and I am, and that makes us one in Christ. And God wanted me to have whatever reason there might be for it, a first-hand awareness of the, of the weight of pressure on Vice President Pence. In the dream, I, i.e. Mike Pence, walked out into the front of the White House, sat down on the front lawn, and sat in a posture like a woman in the Middle East giving birth, uh, with my head between my knees uh, in a posture of giving birth. The same posture that Elijah took when he was praying for uh, rain after three and a half years of no rain under Jezebel. He began to pray for rain. That to me was extremely significant. And I heard myself say, or I heard it in my own head as it came out of my mouth. It's hard to say how this worked, but I heard myself praying, Father, you've given me this tremendous responsibility Please guide me as I seek to guide the nation out of the dark. Now, I woke up out of that intense dream. And I don't wake up uh, bushy-tailed. Uh, I usually kind of drag out of bed. And a few minutes after I've been out of bed for a while, I, I come to the realization that I'm standing up on my feet. But this time I came straight up out of the bed like a rocket and uh, I, I came down the hall to my study, into my prayer room. And I I didn't sit down. I couldn't sit down. I was speaking in a tongue that I've never heard myself speak in before, that I remember. I've prayed before in other tongues in a, a high degree of intensity. But the uh, 
the the locution of this language, the the elocution, the 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 strength of it, the eloquence of it, the pointed power of it. I knew I was not addressing it to the Lord. I would never speak to the Lord in that tone. I was speaking for the Lord to something else. Along with that uh, intensity of prayer in, in that tongue, I was doing something with my arms and hands that I could have stopped myself from doing if I wanted to. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You, you're never taken over by the Holy Spirit in such a way as to not have a will of your own. Uh, I don't believe, according to the scriptures and according to the character of the, of the Holy Spirit. But I didn't want to resist. I was in joyful cooperation with whatever was going on. I was totally in alignment and allegiance with it. I was reaching up with my hands, grabbing hold of some object in the invisible, ripping it down off of its perch, tearing it in pieces and stomping it under my feet. And as I was doing it, it came to my mind, Romans chapter 15, Satan shall be trampled under your foot quickly. This continued, the same movement over and over. I did the same movement, reaching up, tearing it down, ripping it up, throwing it down, stomping it. This went on for, I would guess, 10, 15 minutes. I remember thinking, I, I won't have to go to the gym today. This is too much work. And uh, once it was finished, and this anointing of warfare lifted from me, I went into just a soft weeping before the Lord and worship and gratitude. Now that was the day of the election that night. I didn't follow the election reports the rest of the day. I broke my fast that day. Uh, I was completely at ease. I was not in any uh, anxiety about the outcome. I knew that the left had been torn down and overthrown in the context of the election. And I knew that God's purposes uh, would be accomplished at least in the confines of the election. Now, God's purposes are not accomplished by an election. There's no single election that wins or loses the battle per se. Obviously, common sense will tell you that those who are vehemently for the murder of children and the destruction of Christian freedom and the annihilation of the gospel and the destruction of marriage and the propagation of pagan sexual perversion... Uh, obviously they need to be dethroned if anything is going to be accomplished for good in the place of them. That was accomplished. I knew it was. And I had perfect peace. So when Mary came, uh, she stayed up to watch the election results. And at one thirty in the morning, she came and uh, whispered to me that uh, Hillary had conceded. And... Uh, I was grateful for the information, but and I, I don't see this. I don't say this arrogantly. I already knew that she would be defeated, that the left would be defeated. And I remember when I got the news, uh, my first thought, God is my witness. My first thought was of the pain she must be going through as a as a private citizen and as a human being, regardless of her wrong motivations, regardless of her diabolical involvements and the betrayal of our country and those things that in the natural deserve prosecution and proper punishment. 
I was concerned for her as a human being because God's heart is concerned for her as a human being. If we ever forget that, we are no longer kings and priests. If you don't rule in the heart of Jesus, you will not have the power to rule with the power of Jesus. If you don't operate in his character and love, you cannot operate in his power. He would not entrust power to us if he could not trust our character to align ourselves with his character. Now, having said all of those things, what is our conclusion? Watchman, watchman, what of the night? The morning comes, and also the night. We are now in the time of a great morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, coming out of a time of terrible morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. But lest we become arrogant and stupid and go back to sleep thinking that republicanism or right-wing politics is the answer to our country, I want to tell you that right-wingism is just as susceptible to demonic takeover as left-wingism because they end up becoming the same thing. Uh, Hitler came to power fighting the communists but manifested the evidence that he was far worse than any communist to that point. Then he and Stalin go into battle against one another, uh, but they were of the same spirit, the same ilk. It's amazing to me how we can talk about the the evil of the Nazi party and the Nazi uh, death camps while never mentioning Stalin murdering 23 million at least of his own people. But see, it's not it's not convenient for the left in American college campuses and British college campuses to point out that their uh, their beloved Soviet Union was no better than Hitler. So we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and the rulers of this present darkness. And we fight lies with the truth. We fight evil with holiness. We fight hatred with love. It's going to take wisdom. It's going to take humility. And it's going to take perseverance. You're going to have to wake up every day of your life with the first thought on your mind, giving honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first words out of your mouth, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You're going to have to learn to put aside your own personal grievances and emotional uh, weaknesses, put them before the cross, and make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. First thing when you get up, I'm yours this day, Father. Do with me what you will. And then trust, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things you need on the private, personal level will be added to you. But if you get so focused on your own personal struggles, uh, you're going to be in trouble in both the big picture and the little picture. Sometimes people will say to me, and I understand it, I've been a, I've been a young father and husband. I've been a, a, somebody who had bills to pay and didn't know how I was going to pay them. I know what it is to be in daily struggles like we all do. Uh, We don't need to try to compare sorrow with sorrow, but we all have our own struggles. 
But when people say to me, you know, I don't have time to read the paper or pay attention to what's going on in Washington or pay attention to what's going on in Israel or pay attention to what's going on in the European Union or pay attention to what's going on in the refugee struggles. Well, I'll tell you, what are you going to do if you don't pay attention to the refugee struggles and riots break out in your backyard and bullets come through your window? I bet all of a sudden it'll become very personal to you and very important that you pay attention to it. You don't wait for the windows to be smashed by the incoming bullets. You open the windows and you cry out to God like Daniel in the midst of Babylon and you pray for the purposes of God to come to pass. I'm praying that the American church will wake up to the golden opportunity we have that refugees are pouring into our borders illegally I know that's being corrected. It needs to be corrected. Bleeding hearts, soft-brained Christians who think we're supposed to open our borders to illegals in the name of Jesus. I wonder. I always want to ask them, well, how many, how many illegal drug-pushing prostitutes do you have living in your house, eating your food, and sleeping in the room with your children? Until you do that, don't preach to me about the responsibility of doing away with borders. See, we're in a time when the devil wants to, he wants us to do away with borders of nations, do away with borders of uh, government control over people. He wants, to, he wants to knock down the borders of the country, knock down the borders of your home so the, na- the, the government can reach in and control it. Then he wants to knock down the boundaries between male and female then knock down the boundaries between married and unmarried, then knock down the boundaries between sexual purity and impurity. You see, he wants to undo, undo. Diabolos, diabolos, the meaning of the devil is uh, diabolos, to throw a stumbling block under your feet and to knock down uh, that which was established. That's what the spirit of Antichrist is all about. You know, folks, you can't separate these subjects from political conflict and spiritual conflict. You just can't do it. If you do it, you're having to go into a spirit of self-deception to do it. Show me the prophet in Israel that didn't involve himself in political issues. Show me the gospel in the New Testament that, that doesn't conflict with Caesar to the point of open persecution of the church. Uh, one student said to me in a class one time, why is the church in America not under persecution? And a little 18-year-old girl, God bless her, raised her hand and said, I can answer that easily. We're not being persecuted because we're not preaching the gospel enough to get the attention of Caesar. We're, we're blending in with Caesar. Well, I don't have time to go into this in more detail. I just pray Father, in Jesus' name, grant us the wisdom to know the difference between the bright and morning star message and the evening star message. Both messages are vital. Both messages have their place. Help us fully, Lord, keep our eyes on the bright and morning star who is our blessed hope and be obedient to him until we either go to him through the passage of death or receive him in the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of uh, your people to meet him in the air.
In Jesus' holy name we ask it. Amen.